But let's pray. Jesus, thank you again that you have the words of eternal life. Lord, I, I just I was reminded of that too the other day where Peter said that to you and, and you had a pretty hard word for your followers. And you didn't make it very easy and you, and you gave them such a challenging word and, uh, and, and some of them left. Some of them walked away. And Lord, you turned to your closest disciples and asked them if they were going to leave too and Peter says, where would we go? Where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. And Jesus, we declare today that you have the words of eternal life. Your word is truth. Lord, it spans time and space. Lord, it is as important now as it was when you gave it then. And Lord, we just declare that you are the truth. You are the life. And we ask, God, that you would speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, will you come? Will you illuminate the word? Will you awaken our hearts to what Jesus is speaking to us? We ask all these things in your name. Amen. So today we continue in, in our Sermon on the Mount series, preached by Jesus. So it's a good sermon just to kind of look at and, and uh, read and study. And uh, if you're ever in the mood for a good, to hear a good sermon, just read that through and uh, it'll give you life. And so we'll, today we're going to be looking at uh, specifically Matthew 7, 7 through 11. Very famous passage um, that we're all familiar with. So I'm going to read the text and then, uh, then we're going to talk about it a little bit. Jesus says this, okay, just to give you context, you know, last week we talked about judging others, taking the, the log out of our own eye, and so that we can see clearly to help our brother, our sister along, remove the speck on their own, dealing with our own hearts before the Lord. And so he just gets through saying that, and, and uh, then he goes into this, this passage that many songs have been written, um, maybe not many, but there's been some songs written, but he says this, ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a snake? If you then, though, you're, though you are evil, just in case you're wondering about our hearts, Jesus makes that clear right there, even though you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So before we kind of dive into the text, and I'm going to be kind of like touching in and, uh, you know, in and out of it here as we go along, but I want to take a bit of time to, to kind of set it up. And I believe this is going to give us a new perspective on this passage. Again, we've, there's been tons of sermons. You'll probably hear better sermons than you'll hear today on this text. But, and, and it, so there's, there's much said about this passage. Again, songs. But I want to give us kind of a new perspective as we look at this. First of all, I want us to be very honest. We're going to be real honest today. Is that okay? I think the church needs a little honesty. Isn't this passage hard to deal with when you just take it? at face value. I mean, it's a, it's a great passage. There, there's a lot of truths that come out of it, and there have been a lot of thoughts, maybe even devotionals written about it, but to be honest, as you read it, it can be somewhat frustrating. Ask, and it'll be given. 
Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Sounds awesome, doesn't it? Sounds awesome to me, I guess. And so then we have to ask the question, why does it work that easily? What was Jesus getting at here in this passage? What is he drawing us to? What is he really saying? Because our walk with God can be frustrating. Anybody ever had a frustrating time with your walk with God? Maybe I'm the only one. Things don't make sense. You pray and it seems like things get worse. Have you ever been there? Experience that? If not, you haven't lived long enough. But God always works from the big picture. He, he works from the perspective of God. And guess what? We don't get that perspective. We never see that perspective. He does not give us specifics. And it's not that he doesn't care because the Bible is, it, it indicates very clearly that he cares about us. He cares about the details of our lives. It's just that he operates from an eternal perspective. And so he does care for us. He just sees from a different place. We love specifics. And sometimes he doesn't deal with us that way. Talked before about, you know, God as the GPS. If you ever had those GPS devices in your car, I don't own one. We've rented cars before that have, you know, have had them in there. And if you're like me and you're in a place where you're not very familiar, it can get a little, it'll make you a little bit antsy because you want some specific directions, you know, it, and, and a lot of times, you know, that, that sister on that thing, she's not talking to you a whole lot. You know, some of us want her to just chatter the whole time, you know, you're doing good. We want some, you know, we want to be built up. We want a little edification from her. You're going good. You're, you're going the right direction. She says nothing except when your turn comes up. You know, then, you know, a quarter of a mile or a mile, you take a right turn, whatever. That's a bit how God works. Sometimes he will speak something very specifically. And you're going, and you kind of would like for God to speak a little more frequently. And he says, I'll be there when it's time to take the turn. We're like, man, that makes me nervous. God, say something. I just got through reading a book, a fantastic book. Yes, I'm plugging a book in the sermon, The Explicit Gospel by Matt Chandler. Fantastic. He shares a story in there that is funny but so right on. He is in Dallas. He's a pastor in Dallas. He was going, um, they were going as a family down to San Antonio. They were celebrating his wife's birthday. There's a place that she likes to go down to San Antonio. So they're, you know, it's, it's down Interstate 35. You just go straight down. And he says, you know, I'm driving along. And he says, my four-year-old daughter in the back pipes up and says, Dad, do you know where you're going? And she said, I think you're lost. And he said he was a bit offended by, you know, it's like, honey, you're four years old. Of course I know where I'm going. And, and he's like, and he's, of course, he didn't say this stuff to her. He says, but this is a little girl that gets lost in the house. He said, you know, she gets out of the front door without one of them. She freaks completely out. And he says, besides, you don't even know how to spell your own name. And you're asking me if I know where I'm going. He said, so I was a little offended, but it was kind of funny. But then the Lord spoke to him and he says, Kind of like, Matt, you are the four-year-old in the backseat of my car. 
Isn't that true? I read that and oh, just so many things in my own heart stirred that I am the four-year-old in the backseat of God's car saying, do you know where you're going? Are you sure you know? I think, God, I think you're lost. Let me give you a declarative word today. God is not lost. He knows exactly where he's going. And he doesn't need our four-year-old selves in the backseat asking him if if we think he knows where he's going. I said all that to say where we're going to be going in this sermon. But what makes this passage so hard to read is because of the obvious. So I'm, I'm not here today. I'm here to be very honest. I'm not here to just sermonize to you. I'm here to be very honest and kind of jump in the boat with you because we've all been there. I've prayed many times for things to happen that never happened. Have you ever been there? I've prayed for people to get well, and they didn't. I've prayed for marriages to be saved, and they didn't. They weren't saved. I prayed for success of church things, and some of them were flops. I've prayed for people that were far away from God, that their lives would change, and to this day they haven't. I've prayed for a lot of things over the years that never happened. And so I think it's a, just a good opportunity for us, the church, to have an honest conversation and look at this passage and instead of sermonizing it or instead of finding a neat devotional in there or instead of finding a slick little song, let's say, God, what in the world are you talking about? Because this is a hard one to read. My heart says yes to this passage. My heart says, yeah, deep down inside, I believe you, God, but sometimes how it works out in the day-to-day is very difficult for me. Because in spite of it all, I believe with all my heart that God hears our prayers. I believe that he cares. But I think there's a lot about prayer that we don't understand. And I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I don't understand why God seems to answer some prayers and not others. Isn't it, isn't it, isn't it very easy to live in that world of comparison where somebody's praying they, and they seem to get what they pray for and you're praying for like a very similar thing? And it can make you very hopeless. It can make you, God, do you like them better than me? Am I, am I off, you know, if I, am I off in left field somewhere? Um, is it a sin issue? I, I don't know what, what is going on. And we wrestle with God. And I, I, I think part of our honesty is we have to say, you know, that re- religion has to have an answer for everything. And this is where transparency and vulnerability and honesty with the church, I think, is so needed, is it is okay for us to say sometimes that we don't know. But religion seems to feel like that it has to have an answer for somebody. It's like Job's friends. If you've ever read the book of Job, is that not one of the most disturbing books in the Bible? But it's there, and we learn a lot from it, and Job loses everything, and yet he fixes his eyes on God. And he makes some of those declarations that, again, are more than just sermonizing or, or songs or a little devotional. When you've lost everything and you have sores and you are, are, are wondering where God is, and he says, I don't know anything else, but I know that my Redeemer lives. And that's all he held on to. And, 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 and I mean, in fact, his wife, I mean, this is the closest person to him. She, at one point, says, it is bad for you. 
It's bad for all of us. Why don't you curse God and die? By the way, ladies, that's not a good advice to give to your husband during a very difficult time. If you're wondering. And then he says to him, he said, you know, the, he, he basically rebukes her and says, you know, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And again, we can say that. And it sounds real great, but when you've lived it and you're going through it, it means a great deal more. The Lord gives, the Lord takes it away. In other words, Job is saying it's all his anyway. Whatever happens, blessed be the name of the Lord. And religion seems to ha try to have an answer. And, you know, and his friends come, and we have this, the, the majority part, part of Job is his three friends, I say in quotations. Because these guys are trying to figure out the formula of what's going on in Job's life. And they have all these religious things. Some of it even, you read it, and it sounds good, doesn't it? But at the very end, God rebukes them. Because they're just coming, you know, well, it's a sin issue, Job. And God said it's not a sin issue. That he, Job was a very righteous man. Not that Job was perfect or he didn't ever sin. That's not the point. But surely it's got to be sin or something, you know, the, the, you, you missed the formula somewhere, Job. There's something going on and there's a very religious thing that feels like that we have to reach into people and give them this religious stuff and a religious formula and say, well, at some point you missed the formula. You skipped, you know, step three and four and those were really important and that's why you're in the, the mess that you're in. But I think if we took a, a, an honest look at our own lives... Even followers of Christ, when we have prayed and we've groaned and we've asked the Lord and things didn't happen, and then we just say, I don't understand, I don't know. And somebody comes to us, instead of giving them a formula, we can say, you know what, I don't know, but I know that my Redeemer lives. I don't know, but he's alive and he loves us. And I've been reminded of this recently and based on a, a good friend of mine that's really struggling in his faith. And it's a very good friend of ours and uh, it's a person that you'd never think in a million years would be walking away from God and he's really struggling in his faith. His wife is very concerned about him. But this is a guy that I've had deep spiritual conversations with, loved the Lord very much. But he wrestles with this whole thing of, of religion and, and how it bleeds into our relationship with Christ. And, 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 and so in the process of what is happening is he's running from religion. But the tendency that the enemy tries to do is when we run from religion, we begin to run from Jesus because we attach Jesus to religion. And I've, been, I've had this thought that, yes, run away from religion, but guess what? If you open your eyes, you'll see Jesus running alongside of you away from religion. Don't miss him when we are going from religious ideas and, and sermonizing and, and trying to put slick things and, and formulas on people, religious things. Jesus runs from that just like we are, but don't miss him because he's running with you. And to make things more complicated, this passage and, uh, and others talk about prayer in ways that seem to contradict our experiences. Again, this, ask and it will be given to you. I mean, you just stop right there. Well, 
what's happening. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receive. He who seeks, finds. Him who knocks, the door will be opened. Or how about Matthew 21, 22? Jesus said to his disciples, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. John 15, 7, Jesus said to his disciples, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Does that sound confusing to you? Does that sound hard? Again, let's, just, let's be honest with each other and before the Lord. The Bible seems to say that we'll get whatever we ask for in prayer. Yet sometimes in prayer, our, our, our experience is just the opposite. We don't get what we pray for. And so we have a dilemma. And then to add to the confusion, we have the idea in this passage of perseverance in prayer. And you've probably heard that taught, and, and it's right. Ask and keep on asking. Seek, keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. Yet in Matthew 6, when Jesus is talking about prayer, he says not to babble on and on with many words like the religious. He said, your father already knows what you have need of. Does that seem to contradict each other? Then Jesus gives a story in the other Gospels where he's talking about this unjust judge and this, you know, this lady is demanding justice and she keeps on pestering and pestering and pestering. And it says, finally, he just gets tired of it and gives her justice. And there's the indication to persevere. And I'm here to tell you, it, we are to persevere in prayer. I'm not trying to take that away. And there's times that we have to wait upon the Lord and we have to groan. But as we look at this, what's the deal? What is Jesus trying to say? And I believe that there's a revelation that he is getting to, and I can't wait to get to it. It's the fun thing about the sermon, because I, I got the conclusion here. But I'm building you up. It's okay if we're honest, right? Pastors love to do this stuff. It's like, we have the crescendo coming. It's coming. Hold on. But this has, been, this has been really rich for me to study this, and it's been very challenging because I know in my own life, and I, I know that all of you, we all have our experiences. We've asked the Lord. We've talked to the Lord. We've seemed to ask, seek, and knock, and nothing seems to happen. So what's the passage about? Is it about prayer? Didn't Jesus already talk about prayer in, in Matthew 6 in the sermon? Same sermon. Is he talking about perseverance? And if that's just all there is to it, there seems to be a level of confusion. Because then we have to ask these questions. How much do I ask before I get an answer? How long do I have to knock before the door is open? How, much, how, how, how far do I have to seek until I find what I'm looking for? I mean, I've asked, I've sought, I've, I've, I've knocked on the door many times in prayer. I've known people that have done it a lot better than me that have learned to persist in prayer and persevere and they didn't get the answer either. But I believe on, 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 on the heart level of this passage that Jesus is talking about our relationship with God. He always boils this thing back to intimacy with God. We were created for intimacy with God. If we don't get that, we won't get anything else. He even says, he says, which of you, if his son asks, you know, and he gives this little description here. He says, you know, if, if your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. He's saying, you know, most people are not cruel that way. I guess there's some that might be. 
But he says, most of you are not cruel. If his son asks for bread, you're not going to give him, you know, here's a stone. Your, your little boy comes up to you, dad can have a piece of bread. He's not going to hand him a rock. Or if he asks for a fish, give him a snake. He said, you, if, if then, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more do your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask? He is revealing something about the heart of God in relationship and intimacy. It is prayer. Yes, it is. But again, what is prayer? It's relationship. It is prayer, but it's relational prayer. It's a conversation, or it should be. Our prayer life should be a conversation with God. It's just like how God gives us earthly relationships and husband, wife, children, friendships. And, and, and the way you build a relationship is you have communication and conversation. And it's no different that with God, we were created to have a relationship with him. And when he reveals something like that, and Jesus, this, you got to realize this was kind of, this was, this was a very almost shocking teaching for the day of, of the, that he's talking about the Father in such words. He's talking about God in such words as he's a Father. You know, you guys have been taught, I know in all of the teachings in the Torah, you've been taught that he's Yahweh, that he is kind of almost unapproachable, and there's a truth to that, and he's holy, and, 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 and he's you know, unknowable to our, our human minds, but you need to also realize that he's father and he wants relationship with you. He wants to be a part of your life. That he loves us more than we could ever imagine. That we're more valuable to him than anything in the world. In fact, ultimately, God sent Jesus to die for our sins so that he could have us in relationship. In the book, The Explicit Gospel, he talks about, he said, what's so awesome about God is God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us, but he desires us. And that should make us love him even more. I think where the frustration has come in is that we try to apply this passage at times without the relational aspect. And again, if we don't get the relational part, it leads to torment, frustration, and hopelessness. Because ultimately, that whole Job's friends thing in our own minds, whether somebody gives us a formula or not, a lot of times we'll formulize in our own mind that we're not doing enough. If you just ask a little more, if you just seek a little more, if you just knock a little more. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't persevere in prayer and that we shouldn't persist in prayer and tarry in prayer at times. There's a, there's a biblical mandate for that at times. But not in the point of frustration, of not knowing who we are in God, that we don't get the, the aspect of relationship and that we are his children. That can lead to frustration. You know, as if, you know, at the judgment seat and we're like, God, you remember that prayer that I was asking you? He goes, you know what? You knocked about 53 times. I was there at 55. You were that close. I can't imagine that. God loves us deeply. And I think sometimes we tend to have knee-jerk reactions. Um, you know, things are going bad, so we need to pray. And again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray in hard times. We should. 
but we should already be in that relationship. We were created for relationship. You know, if the only time that I talked to my wife was once a week, and then we'd get together and I'd say, here's my demands. Here's what I need from you. I'll be back next week and we'll go through another set. That doesn't, does that make your heart come alive? I, I don't know too many romantic stories that are going to have that storyline at all. But it's relationship, it's daily, it's walking, it's, it's sometimes wrestling out hard things. And, it's, and then when I ask of something from her, then, then there's this exchange because it's a, in a loving relationship. But sometimes we, when things are going bad, all of a sudden we're seeking God and we're pressing in and, and we miss out on the relational aspect. And that's why those times can sometimes seem very frustrating. Where are you at, God? And sometimes he's asking us the same question. Where have you been? And it's not that he's withholding. It's like, well, we don't have a relationship, so I'm not going to give you what you're asking for. That's not it. But he wants relationship and intimacy. That's why Jesus went to the cross. If we miss that, we've missed the whole thing. This whole thing is about intimacy. But we cannot treat God like a, like a genie and, and say, you know, things are going bad. I'm going to say the right prayer and I'm going to ask enough or seek enough and knock enough and, and you're going to pop out of the genie, and give me what I, uh, genie bottle and give me what I need. Because if, you, if we do that, it will be frustrating, I promise. I've done it. God bless you. God wants us to walk with him and love him and trust him. He wants us with him. And he's made a way for that to happen in Jesus. Relational prayer helps us to move closer to God, and it keeps us close to God. And the thing about relational prayer, too, is it, it is relational, but also it helps change our perspective. When we get a revelation of relationship with him, we get more of a, of a sense of how he answers prayer. We begin to somehow see from his perspective in a little ways. I'm not saying we completely get his perspective. I don't think we ever will. But there's certain times where we begin to see what he's doing even in the midst of hard times. Going back to John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples about, about relationship. This is kind of an intimacy with God passage. It, he's talking about abiding or remaining in him. That he's a part of them. They're a part of him. Jesus says, I'm the vine. You are the branches. And then he says, and I quoted this earlier, he says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, that's relationship. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. So did you hear that? We, we usually focus on the ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you, but we can't miss the first part of the sentence. If you remain in me and my words remain in you. And so Jesus is not promising his disciples that anything they ask for will be theirs for the asking. He's talking about relationship with him. He's saying that what we ask for is a part of our relationship with him, a relationship that changes our lives and changes our perspective. If our lives are changed, then our desires are changed, our needs are changed, our perspective has changed, and what we will ask for will change. 
So when we miss the revelation that Jesus is trying to give us, it, it, that it's a relationship, I think we miss the heart of the passage. If we ask, seek, and knock, God is, you know, somehow all, God is always going to answer my prayers the way I want them answered and in the time that I want them answered. And when he doesn't, I feel heartbroken, hopeless, somehow cheated by God. So then we have to ask another question. Is God really good or loving? You know, based on what you're saying, it feels a little random. Well, doesn't it sometimes? I mean, if we're honest, I mean, we've been there where nothing makes sense and it all seems very random. And it says, God, is this the whole thing? Is the, is, is the whole works random? But when we look very closely, we see that he's at work. Again, you know, one of our friends, I've, I've heard a lot of people that, that no longer believe in God because sometimes their prayers weren't answered. And it's like saying, God, if you, you, if you won't do this, then I'm out. And so prayer is not given, us, given to us as a way to present our demands to God. You know, our Christmas wish to, to Santa Claus And I, and I think it boils down to this. It, it's, it's a relationship, not about getting what we want. And then he says again, he says, if, a, if, you, if you being evil, if you see your son, they have a need. You're not going to be cruel. But sometimes as parents, especially the parents will get this, when you see what your kid is going through from a bigger perspective, the child does not get that. And, you know, it's kind of funny that we say, you know, when sometimes when they go, you know, why? Has your kid ever asked why? And that kind of funny thing that we say, because I said so. And sometimes that's just because we don't know what else to say. And they're pretty good at arguing. And we finally just that definitive, you know, boom, because I said so. And we go off feeling like, you know, yes. Sometimes it's not mean that way. But sometimes it's they cannot possibly see what you see. There is no way in the world that you're going to sit down with a, you know, a child, especially a little child, you know, they're four and five, and you're going to do a diagram. And you're going to give them a few maps, and you're going to say, well, here's the deal. I'm going to walk you through this. It's going to take a couple of hours, but I'm going to show you where we're going. And, you know, the little kid goes, hmm, that's awesome. I see it now. We can't do it, and, but we see, the big, we, we see things they don't see, and so we just say, not just because I told you so. It, it, it's, it's, you won't under, you, there's no way you can get this, but Dad loves you, and what do they do? Do they say, I understand your love. Thank you for the revelation of your love. I feel your love. <laughs> Probably not. If you do, you've got a special kid on your hands. <laughs> Keep that kid around forever. They're going to be upset. They might even, as we say in Tennessee, pitch a fit. That means be unhappy really, really bad. And God wants us to begin to say, I trust you, God. I don't see it. I am like that kid in the back seat. Where are you going? Do you know where you're going? God, it seems so random sometimes. I don't see the big picture. And he's saying, I know you don't. 
And you po- there's no way you possibly can. But trust me in this. There's some biblical examples of this, too. I mean, the obvious is Jesus in the garden before his crucifixion. You, you remember what he prayed? You know, he was, he was fully God, but he was fully man, and he was having a very human moment in the garden. You know, it wasn't that because he was fully God that he, you know, that, that, that he was going to step into his divinity, divinity in that moment and not feel any pain. He felt it all. He took it all upon himself. And he has a very human moment in the garden. This is a biblical example. He said, if it be possible, take this cup from me. Father, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. God, Father, I see that you know the big perspective here. But he's groaning. I mean, he's groaning to the point where he's, he's sweating blood. He knows what is right up ahead for him. And the Bible says this, that he goes away, you know, and his three main disciples, you know, they're really standing with him, aren't they? They're falling asleep. They don't, I mean, they, they don't get it at all. You know, could you guys not watch with me one hour? My soul is vexed. My soul is troubled. Can you guys pray with me? Yeah, 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 we got you. We got your back, Jesus. We got, he walks away, you know, and they're right back to sleep. Because he goes and he has this conversation with him. He goes back and it says that he prays this prayer again. Does that sound like asking, knocking, and seeking to you? I mean, he's going before the Father. I'm asking, I'm seeking. If, this, if there's any way, if there's any way this cup can be taken from, from me, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Father, you see the eternal perspective here. You know best. You are in control. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And that's why Jesus in Matthew 6, Matthew 6 taught us to pray, your kingdom come and your will be done. That is a prayer of trust. That is a prayer that I don't get it, but I trust the one who does get it. The other one is Paul in 2 Corinthians. And I've talked about this before, but he's got this thorn in the flesh. And, you know, theologians debate this over and over of what is this? Is this a a weakness that he's dealing with? Is this something in the flesh, you know, like a sickness that he's dealing with? And so there's a lot of debate. Um, So I'm not here to do the debate. That's a sermon for a different time. He's got a problem. He's got some trouble. Whatever this thorn in the flesh, and it says this about him. It says this. He begged God three times to take it away. Does that sound like asking and seeking and knocking? Maybe he asked, he sought, and he knocked. Three times he begged God to take it away from him. And God's answer is this. God doesn't say, the thorn is removed. He could have done that. But here's what God says. He said, my grace is all you need. It is sufficient for you. My strength is perfected in your weakness. Just like Jesus in relationship with the Father when he was in the garden, in relationship, Paul gave up control. Because, you know, he's wrestling here. He's thinking the removal of the thorn in my flesh is the answer. Have you ever been there where you went to God and you said, here's the answer. God, I'm not asking what you think. Here's what I need. My circumstance is bad. 
change it. And so Paul went to the Father, but he's having a relationship, and he's wrestling, he's struggling. God, please take it away. I'm begging you to take it away. And God says, here's what I'm going to give you, Paul. In relationship, I'm going to give you my grace. I'm going to give you my strength instead. And you're probably going to deal with this for the rest of your life. But you're going to have my grace and my strength in the midst of it. That's why in Philippians 4, at the end of you know, Philippians 4, Paul also you know, prays, he says, I've learned to be content in no matter what situation I'm in. Well, how do you get to that place? How do you be content like that? It comes in a relationship with Jesus. That's the only way you can find that contentment. That's why Paul could say, you're, 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 you're not only good when I'm full, you're good when I'm empty. God, you're not just good in the good times, you're also good in the bad times. You're always good, and I've learned to be content in who you are, not in my circumstances, not in getting the answer I think I need for my circumstances. And again, that's not that God doesn't answer our prayers, or it's random, or we just go, well, why pray? Again, we pray in relationships and intimacy because he knows exactly what we need. He sees the big picture. He is driving the car, and we are not. And that's hard for us to admit and confess that God's way bigger than we could ever imagine. And so we need, to, we need a little perspective here. We are, compared to God, we are like the grain of sand, and God is the universe. And sometimes we're trying to define to him what he's supposed to do. Because we think that we see what he sees. We do not. But the cool thing is he loves each one of those grains of sand personally and intimately. And yes, he's God and he can love that many people all at once. But our, our tendency is sometimes to say, God, do you know where you're going? God, are you lost? I'll tell you what you need to do if you'll listen to me. But he is sovereign and his will is perfect. He knows what he's doing. And the answer may not always be what we think it should be. So should we ask, seek, and knock? What was Jesus trying to deal with here? Yes, but do it in a place of relationship, rest, and trust, and not torment and hopelessness. And here's where I've been going all along, but what was Jesus trying to convey in this passage? I'm going to read it one more time. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and and you will find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What are we asking for? What are we seeking for? What are we knocking for? Folks, it's him. He is the answer. He is the good gift that was given by the Father. You hear the relational thing? He said, you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? He has given us the ultimate good gift, and his name is Jesus. He's given us redemption because of Jesus. 
He's given us the ability not to have to pay for our own sins because of the cross. He's given us eternal life in heaven through Jesus. That means when you belong to Jesus, you don't have to die and, 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 and pay for your own sins. Jesus has already done that for you, and you get eternity because of him. He is the good gift given by the Father. He's what we're looking for. He's what we're asking for. He's what we're knocking for. He opens up and he gives us himself. And so we're asking, seeking, and knocking, and Jesus opens the door and he says, here I am. It was me that you've been looking for all along. I am, I am what you need. And then sometimes we press around him and say, what do you got back there? Because here's what I need. I need, I need this. My circumstances are bad. Jesus, what's behind you? Jesus, what do you have in your hand that you can give me? And he's sitting there with his arms wide open. He said, it's me that you've been looking for. Because in me, you'll find all that you need. You will find your answer. And even if your circumstance don't, doesn't change, you get me. That he's enough. That he's our a great reward. And he said, when you find me, what you're going to figure out, and it's what Paul figured out, is everything in your life, I want to bring glory to my Father in heaven. And so that's why when you see people going through circumstances, you see people going through hard times, and they're just continually giving God praise. He said, God is getting glory in the midst of their lives. That's why the pastor in China that's knee-deep in, in, in human feces, and he's out there, and they've placed him in the cesspool. And he was angry at why God would allow him to be out there at first. He was arrested for preaching the gospel, and he's out there in the midst of this horrific, and he's out there day after day after day. And then he finds something. He finds a secret that he has in Jesus. And Jesus says, I've been with you in that cesspool all along. And he said, I found something. The guards would leave because it stunk so bad. He said, so that cesspool became my private garden to be with Jesus. The cesspool became a blessing. And I brought glory to the Father. And he said, I could worship him freely. How do you find Jesus in the cesspool? Because you found him instead of an escape from the cesspool. He is what we've been looking for. It's in him. It's in relationship with him. And yes, sometimes he will intervene. And yes, he does miracles. But it's all to the glory of the Father. Whether you get it or not, it's all to the glory of the Father. Because it's all about him. Oswald Chambers says this. This is a quote from the other day. He says, my goal is God himself. Not joy, not peace, not even blessing, but himself, my God. That's the revelation of what Jesus, I believe, was getting. Ask, yes, seek, yes, knock, do it in relationship, and know when the door is flung open, it's him. It is him, and it's always been him. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you so much. And Lord, I said all of that, Lord, and, and, I, and I just confess, and I want to just be real honest, God, that I don't get it sometimes. Lord, I confess that 
Sometimes you open the door to me and I look and see what you have in your hand that you can give me. Because the season I'm in is kind of tough or going through hard things and I try to pry your hand open and say, what do you got in there? And, and, and Lord, your arms are open and you're saying, if you would just step in, I'll embrace you. I'll give you me. So Lord, we give you our hearts today. Lord, more than a sermon, more than a cool passage that we write devotion, or there's devotions written or songs, Lord, we desperately need you. And I pray, God, that we would ask in a place of relationship. We would seek in a place of relationship. We would knock in a place of relationship. Because you are the good gift given by the Father. And I pray that we would find you every day, and we would find that reality every day. Forgive us, Lord, where we've been religious. We've tried to have an answer for people. We try to put little religious spins on things. God, forgive us, God. Help us. Help us to be honest as the church. And help us to point people to you that it's all about you. That we can look at somebody and say, I don't, I don't know what the, the answer is for your situation as far as your circumstance, but I know who has the answer. I know who you're looking for, and it's Jesus. And that we would live lives to glorify you and point people to you every day. And Lord, I pray right now, and if this struck a chord with you, anything, and, and whatever, whatever you're going through, and I just encourage you, just, if you would just raise your hand, I'm going to pray for you right now. Lord, you see these hands, and more, more than hands, you see hearts. Lord, we do lift our hands before you, and Lord, again, I don't want even that to be cliche of raise your hands and do this and that, but Lord, we just honestly come before you, and you see the hearts underneath the hands. And Jesus, I pray, God, for each of these precious people that you love so deeply. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that they, they may not get it. They may not understand it. They may not have a full revelation. But Lord, I pray for your perspective. I pray for your love. I pray for your grace. I pray for Jesus that you would be in their hearts and they would find you in the middle of what they're going through. God, we honor you today, and we want to bring glory, and we want to bring honor to you all our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have an awesome, awesome day, an awesome week.